Welcome to the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're new to the show, I hope you enjoy this one. Please share it if you get something from it. If you've been listening for a while, I'd love a review or perhaps to hear from you about guests that you might suggest coming up for future episodes. One thing that surprised me with the latest census data, it showed that 68% of property investors only own one investment property. Now that's down a little bit from 72, which was the last one, but still the vast majority of property investors only own one property. Now that's a statistic that my guest today is hoping to change. Casey Taylor is the managing director and lead buyers agent at Tailored Property Wealth and is passionate about helping his clients build their property portfolios and avoid the mistakes he made when he first set out to invest in property. He generously shares his story in today's conversation where we talk about the importance of getting into the market early and how a change in tactic is sometimes the difference between sitting on the sidelines and forging ahead with your property journey. Welcome to the show, Casey. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hello. (laughs) We're live in the studio today, which is kind of unusual for me. Everything's sort of remote, but it's nice to be able to, to be in the same room as you. Now today, what we want to talk about is getting into the property market sooner. Now, what we mean by that, and probably a good example is I've interviewed buyers agents before where they are looking for properties at a certain price point. And I said to one, this is a couple of years ago now, what if they didn't have $500,000 as a budget to spend? And their sort of comment to that was, well, we just tell them to come back when they do, right? So I guess what we're talking about here is trying to challenge that notion and, and ways that we can get into the market sooner by looking at different types of property. They're a diehard sort of blue chip people that will just kind of say, look, if you're not buying a million dollar investment property, then it's not happening. But you've got your own personal story about this as well, right? I sure do. I sure do. So I think it was back in 2018, I got pre-approved and that pre-approval was for about 360k roughly off the top of my head. And I spoke with a buyer's agent back then and part of their business, I didn't quite fit what they were after in terms of that price point. Now, if I was to have pivoted, looked somewhere that was in my price range and purchased back then, I would have got that time in the market and started to build on that equity within a property if I purchased back then. So they had a particular formula, I assume, that it's got to be houses within certain distance of the city, an an obvious criteria that required more money than you had access to at that particular point in time? Yeah, so they were specific to a certain area. Yeah. And that area was obviously outside my price range. So because of that, they kind of dismissed it. I made the mistake and didn't pivot on that property within my budget. So, I mean, as much as I don't want to put salt into the wounds, (laughs) rub it in. (laughs) People do love hearing from necessarily the mistakes because I mean, these podcasts, they get a little bit tiresome when people go, you know, I started when I was 17 and now I've got $20 million worth of property and I've never made a mistake. And people are like, I can't relate to this person. Had you have pivoted, as you say, and purchased a property within your price range, what kind of you know, on cash return, would you have expected if you'd actually pulled the trigger? Well, if I was to get in the market and purchase something around that 360k mark, and it even did a conservative 10% back then, looking at an area that's prime for growth, yep. it could have been 30, 40k roughly 
yeah. that I could have made within a 12-month period had I had mm. I pulled the trigger and taken action. Yeah, and I guess that's the cautionary tale that we're, we're wanting to talk about today. And you look at property prices around the country, and our own data, we saw the average purchase price um, people were spending on on an investment property in the last 12 months has been around seven ninety. Typically, investors tend to talk maybe even a little bit less than that, you know, around the sort of, you know, four to five hundred thousand dollar mark. Now, that kind of probably precludes a lot of people from buying in their local area. I mean, if you live in Sydney, you can't buy a house for four or five hundred thousand dollars. If you live in Melbourne, you know, what sort of data have you got on that? And, and what sort of properties are you looking at that fit within that kind of budget? Yeah. So look, I brought a little bit of data today and definitely geeking out. Good. So if we take a look at a couple of suburbs within Sydney, looking at Parramatta as at March 2022 per core logic, the median price point is one million four hundred and thirty-three thousand. Wow. Quakers Hill, one million and thirty-five thousand, and Mount Druitt sitting at eight hundred and sixty-one thousand. So they're kind of suburbs that aren't really close to the water within Sydney Mm. and they're not the most expensive suburbs I would say within Sydney. So that average median is sitting at 1,110,000. So the average 20% deposit to get into that market would be 222,000 and you'd be looking at stamp duty of 46,000. So the total to get into that would be 268,000 based on that average median across those three suburbs. That's pretty big biscuits and for your average investor and you know with the latest census data we're seeing 68 percent of investors only own one property so the vast majority of people that may be listening are looking at their first property or or perhaps their second or their third there's not that many people that have four or more these days that's kind of quite potentially a prohibitive amount of money and even if you had two hundred thousand dollars ready to to pull the trigger on investment property is there not an argument to say you're better off perhaps buying two less expensive properties around the country and diversifying yeah for sure so i guess the way we look at it is if you're able to purchase two assets you're diversifying obviously across two different areas potentially yeah it can lower your level of risk as well if you're purchasing in two different areas and they perform at different stages you might have one asset that's performing really well and then another asset that goes through its cycle at a different point in time yeah seeing that growth obviously you don't have that that massive deposit to get into the market as well yeah and i think we touched upon it in the beginning there's an opportunity cost to not being in the market right like people say the best time to buy real estate was yesterday and if you are kind of thinking you know i live in quakers hill as one of your examples you know to buy a house i need a million dollars so i'm gonna have to wait another four or five years you know four or five years you can see a a whole real estate cycle almost right so getting in makes a big difference now when it comes to locations around the country that still have good capital growth prospects and and reasonable yields what sort of money do we need to budget for on what you would call an investment grade property yeah so look we invest nationwide and look at those areas that are more affordable and a couple of suburbs that we target within Brisbane suburb number one has a median price point of 496,000 Suburb two, 407,000, and suburb three, 411,000. So the average median across those three suburbs is 438,000. If you're looking at a 20% deposit, it's about 87,000, and your stamp duty would be 15,000. So your total into that would be 
102,000. So it's significantly less than what you would be looking if you were to get into that Sydney market. And then you also have some positives in terms of the yields as well. So those suburbs that I just mentioned within Brisbane, the average across those suburbs is 5.47 for the the rental yield, opposed to those three suburbs in Sydney that we did discuss. So your Parramatta, Quakers Hill and Mount Druitt. The average across those three suburbs is 2.57%. Yeah, right. So the Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. So there's one thing to say, you've got the deposit available to purchase that investment property, but then have you got the serviceability to stay on top of the mortgage repayments and the repairs and those sorts of things? I mean, that's a negatively geared property, right? Even before interest rates started going up and you know we've had a couple of those and there's probably more to come. Yeah, for sure. So I think with those interest rates, it's always good to balance that capital growth that you're aiming for, as well as obviously that positive cash flow position and the strong rental rental yield. And the people that sort of say that you can't have both, so to get the maximum capital growth, you've got to sacrifice on yield. Do you buy into that kind of idea or do you think it is possible to have a, a good balance? I think it is possible to have a good balance. And I think when you are looking at those more affordable areas, if that capital growth is potentially a little bit less than that blue chip asset, if you're able to get into the market sooner and you're starting to get that equity it might balance out anyway yeah, time yeah. in the market is key so if you can get in potentially a couple of years earlier then buying that blue chip asset worth a million dollars it's yeah. just going to benefit you in the long run now i'm probably going to annoy you by sort of playing devil's advocate here we'll, we'll push yeah. it to the, the obvious ridiculous point i mean what's your kind of cut off there like should you be looking at you know a hundred thousand dollar apartment in a regional city just because okay well i'm i'm in the market like how important is it to be in the market and I guess the results of that property kind of dictate the importance of that right yeah for sure we focus within our business on established properties in established areas large pieces of land so we don't touch units we don't touch new house and land packages and we're still able to purchase those assets at that affordable price point so yeah yeah so don't go and buy a hundred thousand dollar cheap apartment in a place that's had naught percent growth for the last 30 years yeah exactly right we focus on the land portion getting that large piece of land as that's what does the heavy lifting long term and appreciates in value opposed to the building that is obviously the depreciating portion yeah, of the yeah, asset yeah. which you know about careful this is almost like self-promotion <laughs> plugging my tax depreciation <laughs> so with these three locations in brisbane that you were talking about yep. typically what's your investment grade property are we talking about houses are we talking about townhouses how many bedrooms can you paint us a bit of a picture about the types of properties that you like to buy yeah for sure so we we target minimum of 600 meter square block 
Yeah, it's kind of the minimum that we'll target. If it's a little bit below, we'll still entertain that if it's a good deal for that one. At the moment, within those suburbs, it's pretty much a four bedroom, two bathroom property that we're we're targeting within yep. that area that's still achievable. Yeah. Yeah. What is the sort of the demographics of those regions? Are, are these kind of you know double income with kids? Is that what what's most in demand in those suburbs? Are those four bedroom places? Yeah. So it is double income with kids a lot of the time that are within those areas. Yeah. That area as well has extremely low vacancy rates, and obviously across the country they are significantly lower than what they were in the past. Yeah. But under that one percent, it's really solidifying that rental return increasing in the future. As well. So yeah. what that yield is that we secure now when we purchase, ultimately over time based on that purchase price is progressively going to increase as well. So increasing that cash flow in the short to medium term as well. Yeah. And we talked about getting in the market sooner and you know kind of supercharging your property journey early, right? Because time in the market is key. So that sort of might necessitate that we're looking at cheaper price points than say buying a million dollar uh, investment property. But what is it about Brisbane that you like as a region? Because there are other parts of the country, I assume, like Adelaide or Perth, where you could get in for a similar price. What is it about Brisbane that that sort of piqued your interest? Yeah. So we like to focus on Adelaide as well. I like to throw in there, but obviously just Brisbane as an example. I did mention just now those vacancy rates. So that is definitely a factor that we like, as well as the rental yields that we've just discussed. Affordability, obviously that's what we're talking about today. With the interest rates increasing and people's borrowing capacities being affected a little bit further, those more affordable areas, people are still able to purchase within those areas. So it's, um, it's an important factor. And there's massive infrastructure spending going on in Brisbane at the moment. So that's something super important. It's got the 2032 Olympics as well. Yeah. So it's solidifying that infrastructure spending for the next 10 years, which ultimately creates more jobs now. And once all of that infrastructure is established, it creates further jobs in the future as well. Yep. Um, got the runway extension as well and the yep. Queen's Wharf sort of stuff. And yeah. I um, spent a bit of time in the Gold Coast and, and not much time in Brisbane up until a number of years ago. And Brisbane's actually quite a happening place. It's a, it is. It's, it's a real beautiful city. Like you've got that little lagoony bit in yep. South Bank. You yep. know, the wharf, there's some beautiful restaurants uh, along there. You've got those lime scooters. You I don't do. Know. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Which are dangerous. I haven't jumped on one yet. I'm not brave <laughs> right. enough to, but maybe be in the future but yeah it really is a beautiful city I I like it a lot more than Sydney sorry Sydney but it's a bit more of a concrete jungle whereas Brisbane's a little bit more open and weather's nice up there as well yeah now when we talk about those price points obviously the if you think about it in terms of a pyramid like the the top of the pyramid might be people that can afford three thousand dollars a week rent the bottom would be three hundred dollars a week rent these properties are sort of the bottom level so I'm assuming that there is always going to be a strong demand for those types of properties unless there's big kind of supply changes now supply in brisbane we've seen you know the apartment market have a bit of a boom and and have an oversupply but is there much land available where it could potentially influence that supply side yeah so that's an indicator that we do look at when we're purchasing properties and we make sure that those building approvals in the areas that we invest are low so there's not a huge amount of supply being added yeah and that's where you come back to selecting those established properties in the established Established areas where further land can't be 
increased and it's ultimately creating that scarcity. Yeah. So that's why we really focus on the established properties, established areas, not your new house and land packages. Where they're on that smaller piece of land and there's that further supply that's going to be added to those yeah, areas. Yeah. yeah, and I know people that invest purely in that space, but I think the really only way to make money is with the developer connections and understanding yep. the phased releases and perhaps buying in at the beginning and then there's that mechanical momentum that builds as they release different stages yep. but you've you got to be plugged into that world pretty well to to manage it so you know established always a good way to go with the price point that you're looking at as well these are affordable properties not just for investors but for first home buyers as well now first home buyers have had quite a lot of money thrown at them with previous elections you know in new south wales we've got some stamp duty changes which is probably going to be able to get people into the property market sooner you yep. know there's lots of stimulus a, a around first home buyer grants and lower deposits and government bank guarantees and those sorts of things do you see that home buyer market putting upward pressure on properties at that purchase price that you're buying at that wouldn't necessarily be putting that same pressure on say a mill and a half style properties? Yeah, for sure. So those people getting into the market that are the owner occupiers purchasing their first property, obviously are going to be looking at most likely that lower price point. Yeah. So that's just going to continue to create that pressure as well. And I think that's a factor why the vacancy rates have dropped off as well, because the owner occupiers have been incentivized to get into the market. So they purchased a lot of stock and that's yeah. created less investment properties on the market. And that's why there's such a rental crisis at the moment. That's something I, I think is really important. The rental crisis is a real thing. Uh, you know, it, yep. it's the worst situation for renters that, that I've seen in my career. And, you know, I'm getting on a bit. Um, <laughs> a lot of sort of policymakers will think, oh, okay, well, you know, like to make housing more affordable, we need to get more first-home buyers in. But, you know, there's 30% of people that are renters and not all of those people will become first-home buyers no matter what sort of grants that you put at them. So yep. that is a real issue that I think we're going to see for the next little while that the investors have kind of been exiting the market right because Absolutely. there's been some changes around the tenancy rules about you know what standard the property has to be you know how you can evict somebody all those sorts of things and you know investors have also kind of been demonized with the negative gearing witch hunts that we've seen in previous elections but what do you see for housing affordability in the rental crisis in the next little while do you still think there's going to be you know a strong pressure on renters and rental prices i think so if if owner occupiers continue to be the benefits of what's happening i think that this is just my personal opinion but if for example individuals who haven't purchased an investment property before in the past maybe were incentivized with a 50 percent stamp duty concession and encourage yeah. more investors to get into the market and create more supply mm. that would be a way to to add more stock i think that's probably as a policy political suicide you know, <laughs> yeah. incentivizing investors are yeah. oh, these poor investors they need our help you can imagine you can imagine that getting slapped down but you know it, it's it doesn't seem that far from the truth like mm. more has been taken away from investors than than given to investors and yeah. yes if you are a property investor you are probably you know a fairly comfortable person but we're not we're not all those wealthy land barons that the the rhetoric has kind of said that we are let's get back on track here to sort of finish up you've got some tips for people that are wanting to get into the market and and perhaps looking at ways that they can get that time in the market by not necessarily 
spending, you know, eight or nine hundred thousand, or perhaps they don't have the capacity to get to that point. What are your best tips for getting in the market with properties that are going to get people on their property investment journey? Yeah. So the first one is just to have an impenetrable mindset. So there's a lot of noise going on with the media at the moment in terms of interest rates and there's going to be corrections. So if you can just stick to your goals, if your goal is to purchase a property, just continue on towards that goal and and don't let the outside noise affect you. Number two would be just to make the short-term sacrifices for the long-term gain. And that's just going to allow you to get into the market sooner, really, which leads on to the third tip. Take action and get into the market when you can afford to borrow and don't make the mistake that I did. <laughs> that's the cautionary Learn from retail. my lesson. And you've done all right. You're sitting here in the office in a in a very smart tie and jacket combo. So <laughs> I can you. see that you're not on the bread Thank line. You. <laughs> you know, that's why I not too, uh, don't feel too bad about throwing the, the salt in the wounds. I think that's that's absolutely critical advice. The media noise is, is pretty deafening at the moment and yep. there's a lot of doom and gloom, gloom around interest rates and people are facing cost of living um, pressures, but, you know, the property market, I can't see that crashing, right? And the best time to invest, as we said, was was yesterday. So avoid that, get into the market. And what was the third one? Don't make the mistake that I Don't make your mistake. <laughs> yeah, okay, we did that. Casey, thanks very much for coming in. It's been a real pleasure and uh, hopefully people get a lot out of that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, Mike.